Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And today, we're going to be doing our first game preview episode, something that you and I have both been looking forward to for a very long time. I have been looking forward to this day since the very first episode that we recorded, because this was the the long-time desire, I think, for both of us, was to finally make it to football season. And we did. We stuck to it, and we made it through the dog days of summer, where more things happened than I thought would happen, especially down the stretch. <laughs> Real <I'm> in. <laughs> you and, say the dog days of summer like it's not. it wasn't 107 degrees outside today. Yes, but football's here. Okay, that's true. So, I mean, it's still terrible outside, but <laughs> at least I can be entertained on my weekends. That's so. fair. But, but no, you are right. It's still pretty abysmal out right now. But yeah, we finally made it to, uh, to game week. Yep. And it is the first game of the season for K-State football, and it is the Kansas State University Wildcats going up against the Stanford University Cardinal which will always upset me that it is the Cardinal and not the plural Cardinals. That's one of my least favorite things about them, is that it's Cardinal and not Cardinals. And when I realized that, it now also angers me when other people say Cardinals. Like, even though I do think it's stupid. Like, yeah. I just feel like I like now have this, like, secret burden of knowledge. You were not, <laughs> you were not ready to be burdened with the knowledge that you have. No, I, I was not ready for it at all. Yeah, I still have it. So Yeah, I mean... I guess there are worse things in the world, but let's get right into previewing the game, not necessarily by looking at what they did now or what they've done this season because they haven't played a game yet, but let's start looking at their 2020 stats, which I feel would be a decent enough indicator for a team that they will be this year, especially going into the opening game. Yeah, so we can just go ahead and start off with some of the basics from them, uh, they went 4-2 and in 2020. They had a very limited schedule. They didn't even play much in Pac-12. Uh, all their games were Pac-12 games, so they went 4-2 conference as well. Uh, they had no non-conference games. Uh, the Pac-12 had pretty strict uh, COVID standards compared to other conferences like the ACC, SEC, Big 12. That, Which is understandable, yes. given that it's the Pac-12. Yes. like it, it does make sense that the Pac-12 would be a little bit more strict on uh, COVID than some of the yeah, other conferences. Um, but they had a uh, um, an interesting, I guess, offensive season. Uh, yeah, that's one word for it. Yeah, we'll we'll say interesting for now. Uh, we'll we'll go. We'll just run through some of their stats. Uh, they had 797 rush yards on the season. They averaged four yards per attempt, which is not very good. No, and not in college. Definitely not in college. And uh, they had uh, 15 rushing touchdowns on the year. Which, given the amount of games they played, is actually pretty good. Yeah, that's a ridiculous amount of for six games. Yeah, for six games, that's pretty outstanding. That's like Skylar Thompson against OU numbers. Like, <laughs> and then, hey, uh, wait, you might have spoiled our take for what the Oklahoma preview is going to be. I mean, we're, we're a ways out from that. Yeah, no one will remember. <laughs> no, one, no one will remember. Um, but pass yards, they had 1,724, and they had 7.8 pass yards per attempt. And they had three interceptions to seven touchdowns as a team for 65.3% completion percentage. So, Which tells you one thing about their offense. It was an offense focused predominantly on efficiency. Yep. 
that that's the nail on the head right there that, that's really obvious from watching any of their film as well like uh, we have done and uh, they love throwing short curl routes hitch routes spacing routes things to just basically annoy the defense if this was Stanford going up against a Snyder 2.0 defense, it would be infuriating with the K-State corners playing like 10 yards off and Stanford running five-yard routes the entire game. So, Which is but, what they did to most Pac-12 teams. Yep, that's and it's pretty effective. Uh, they just play the slow game, very similar to uh, a lot of Snyder teams. Uh, they're, they're more of an old-school squad. We're not going to see a lot of those this year, but we're starting off the season with one. It's kind of a nice... Segway. Change of pace. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a nice change of pace. And, uh, yeah, you can just you can make that out in their pass yards per attempt. 7.8, not a lot. And then a third down percentage, they were 48.24% on uh, converting on third down. So a little under 50%. Uh, what was the national average last year? Do you vaguely I think know? it was around there. If I'm remembering correctly, they're towards the lower end of average. Gotcha. Which... You know, so they're like mid tier, yeah. On third down last year, yeah. Uh, they allowed ten sacks in six games, which isn't awful. It's not awful. Like it, that doesn't tell the full story. I think on their offensive line, just because of their uh, tendency to get rid of the ball so quickly. Yeah. And then they had twenty nine point three points per game, scored one hundred seventy six total points on the season. Yeah. So offensively. There's nothing really there within the stat line that particularly stands out. And that's especially notable when you look at who they lost on the offensive side of the ball. They lost the starting quarterback, Davis Mills, who was taken, I believe, in the third round yep. to the Texans. Houston Texans. Yep. They lost their leading receiver in Simi Fahoku, who was similarly drafted. They lost Scooter Harrington, their starting tight end. They lost Walker Little, which although he only played one season, was a very good offensive lineman. Yeah. And they lost their best corner in Paulson Adebo again to the draft, even though he opted out, I believe, halfway through last year. Yep. And though they do lose those guys, they do uh, return some people as well, right? Yeah. They return their leading all-purpose yards leader, Austin Jones, who, just to kind of spoil the take here, he's the best player on the team, in my opinion. I don't even think it's remotely close. So, in terms of role, kind of similar to what Deuce is on K-State, but a different play style. Yeah. I would say that he's much more Christian McCaffrey than he is Deuce Vaughn. Makes sense. It's Stanford. Yeah. And that's pretty much why I make the comparison. He's not as good as Christian McCaffrey, but... But he, he fills a similar role. Yeah. He's going to be doing a lot more power running than Deuce ever will. and But he still makes catches out of the backfield. And does he do any uh, returning for them? Uh, I think he does. So, yeah, he's definitely going to lead all-purpose yards. But, yeah, even if he does get the yards a little bit differently... Uh, kind of a similar vein to Deuce there. You can make some loose comparisons. And they bring back a couple other guys that are notable. Yeah. Their number two wide receiver, Brian Tremaine, is back, as well as their leading tackler in Levani Dumani. I'm sorry, I'm sitting pretty yeah. far back. It looks like Levani Dumuni. Levani Dumuni, their leading tackler from last year. So they're returning some pieces on offense and defense, which, speaking of the defense, that leads us to... The next part, which is the defensive stats. So in terms of points per game, they were not very good, nope. even through six games. They allowed they allowed 31.67 points per game, which... It's pretty incredible that they 
on average, gave up more points than they scored, but they still went 4-2. and two. Yeah. Which, which granted, the sample size is small. Yeah, and the Oregon game was a blowout. Yeah, and that Oregon game, yeah, it was a blowout. It was pretty bad. And they missed, like, four field goals in that game, and a lot of them were chip shots. And, uh, but it's still, it's an oddity to see something like that. I mean, they have 31.67 points per game. They're allowing on the defensive side of the ball, and on offense, they're, offensively, they're only scoring 29.3. Kind of weird to see with a team with a winning record. Yeah, that's not something you normally expect to see. Mm-mm. But another thing that you don't really expect to see is a team that gives up as many yards as they tended to do. They gave up 1,300 passing yards and 1,332 rushing yards, which it's already weird that they're allowing more rushing yards than passing yards, but they allowed the same amount of touchdowns. They allowed 12 touchdowns each for both passing and rushing touchdowns. Yeah, that is really really strange and those averages both are around 200 like 15 to 220 uh, for both of those per game which for pass yards that isn't awful per game for rushing for rushing that's atrocious (laughs) and they gave up the same amount of points or the same amount of touchdowns in both facets of the game so that's that's just really weird like I don't don't really know what to make of that honestly did maybe they played uh, some run heavy teams that that would have balanced out over the season i'm not really sure um <laughs> who would who would they have played that was a run every team that's the thing is i'm not sure because they played a an exclusively pac-12 schedule as far as i know most of the pac-12 is either spread or pro so i can't imagine they would have like oregon like that's a pass heavy squad uh they would have played colorado and uh based on what we were watching and a film they passed quite a bit mm-hmm. and when washington. they were running yeah washington they're a pro style i'm fairly sure i'm fairly certain so I'm, I'm not sure where those rush yards are coming from maybe they're just kind of porous on defense which granted that could come from their defensive sets yeah which we'll get into later mm-hmm. and also in terms of preventing red zone touchdowns they were 19 for 29 in giving them up so uh <laughs> that's pretty Yikes. Uh, I mean, they're giving up two-thirds of the time. They're going to give up a touchdown Yeah. In, in, the a, in, the, in the red zone, which is something. Yeah. <laughs> and all the rest of the stats are not really particularly notable exclusively yeah. because there was such a small sample size. Yeah. So the story going into just pure stats, they're not a very good defensive team. They're fine offensively. Yeah. And... They do. They don't lose a ton on defense, but they do lose quite a bit on offense. And they do have a quarterback controversy-ish going into the season. It seems like the prevailing thought is that the uh, younger of the uh, two quarterbacks um, that are in this controversy right now, uh, that's Tanner McKee. He's projected to uh, start over um, senior Jack West in the first game, although it's still up in the air. They haven't, at the time of recording, announced anything official. Yep. It's entirely possible that they could announce something uh, the next uh, few days, but we'll, we'll just have to kind of wait and see on that. Play it by ear. Yeah, play it by ear. I, I'm predicting, just based on what uh, people in the know seem to be saying, it's probably Tanner McKee. Mm-hmm. 
He's like, based on what we were looking at, he's a very prototypical Stanford quarterback. He's really big. He's six foot six, two hundred thirty pounds, roughly, and he uh, just fits the Andrew Luck sort of mold. That's exactly what they're looking for. The Stanford offense, just a solid, pro style guy that's gonna just be really big and intimidating and scary and also really smart. I mean, it's Stanford, so yeah. And we'll just go over their schedule just for the sake of going over their schedule, even though they haven't played a game. We're obviously their first game of the year, followed by USC, Vanderbilt, UCLA, Oregon, Arizona State, Washington State, Washington, Utah, Oregon State, Cal, and Notre Dame. Something very notable uh, about their schedule is I believe they're the only school in the country that plays exclusively Power 5 opponents. And in their 12 games, they have six opponents ranked in the preseason top 25 poll. At least I remember seeing that online. I don't know if that's true. USC was ranked. Oregon was ranked. Arizona State was ranked. Notre Dame. Washington. Utah? I think Utah got votes. At least five. At least five. So, yeah, it's at least five, probably six. So they're going to have a very difficult schedule. They're... Projected over-under is 3.5, or the the projected win total over-under is 3.5. And part of that probably has to do with the fact that they're not a particularly impressive team on paper. But another factor is that they're just going to have a gauntlet of a schedule. Really, it rarely is going to get easy for them. Even when they play Vanderbilt, that's on the road, and they're going to skip some time zones to get to that game. Which David Shaw already complained about. Yeah, David Shaw complained quite a bit about that uh, uh, with the uh, K-State game kicking in Dallas and uh, also being an 11 a.m. kickoff. So their body clocks will be at 9 a.m. But I'm not... I don't think it's going to be that big of an advantage. I mean, it's a couple hours. So if they they start start adjusting for it, it shouldn't be that big of an issue. Vanderbilt's a little different just because that's... Uh, as far as it gets for uh, time zone shifts. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough schedule for Stanford this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how that team uh, comes together. So maybe, I'm not sure if it's advantageous or disadvantageous for K-State to get them so early. Because on one hand, they're not going to really have been... This is going to be a first-time start for uh, McKee or West. Uh, So it's going to be new. But they're not going to be as worn down because they're going to have such a tough schedule. There's no weeks off in this. Yeah. And it, this is not financial advice, but uh, I would take the under if I were a betting man. Honestly, I think that's a fair move because I'm looking at this schedule and the only r- really easy game that I'm seeing, and even though this is an uneducated opinion, is Cal. And that's the second to last game of the year. So, I mean, they should beat Vanderbilt on the road, but it's on the road. And Weird things happen on we- the road. Weird things happen on the road. Just ask Oklahoma. Yeah. Oregon State lost Jamar Jefferson, so they don't really have a lot going for them. They rarely do, but so they should be able to at least be competitive there. But it's ultimately going to come down to if their quarterback performs, because uh, um, our man uh, Austin Jones he can't carry the entire team. No, especially in a uh, full schedule. And then they're gonna have that Notre Dame game at home, uh, USC on the road. Uh, they're gonna have Oregon again, Washington, Utah. Like this. It's going to be a lot of tough games there. Yeah. They do get Notre Dame at home, though. Yeah, Notre Dame at home, that that is the one advantage in that game. 
is that Notre Dame will be a home game. But nevertheless, Notre Dame, I imagine they'll... You want to talk about the hot take you had before the show? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And normally we would talk about their 2021 stats, but obviously there are none. So, same with the game notes, because we we do a lot of film study, because we really like it. We think it's fun. But, we don't have any to go off of this year, so we'll go off of last year. Now, something to note, uh, for all of these numbers, I was only able to find two full games for the entire season. Those were the Washington and Cal games, I believe. And so some of these numbers may be a tiny bit skewed and inaccurate, but I did the best uh, with what I could find. And honestly, that's the number one reason why I hope we get media someday or media privileges. So I can say, we're media, please give film. That's That would be excellent. Just so we could compile uh, data on uh, these offenses. Like that, that, that would just be outstanding. Like, But... I don't know. I think we're probably a little ways off from that, but hey, you never know. Maybe someday. You never know. But yeah. So let's just go into the notes offensively. And the first thing I wanted to know was about their personnel grouping, which is basically 23-22. Backs are always first, and then tight ends. So 23 personnel, two backs, two tight ends, or as Connor and I lovingly refer to it as, Cro-Magnon. Cro-Magnon formation. Yeah, Cro-Magnon formation. Uh, that's a bring on the cats classic uh, term there. At least it, it was a few years ago. But yeah, I did not make up Cro-Magnon formation. Okay. Well, you and I still lovingly use I it. I still love it. Yeah, it, it's something that I use on the regular. Yeah. So in the games and the snaps that I charted, they were in Cro-Magnon 30.4% of the time. Which is staggering. Yeah, that's kind of insane because that leaves no room for wide receivers yeah because yeah you're gonna have the uh the two backs then the three tight ends that's five five offensive linemen then the quarterback so you're just not gonna have receivers 30 percent of the time granted some of that's gonna be goal line situations some of that's gonna be uh, like we talked about just running out the clock but yeah. then that leaves still quite a bit of time where you're going to have the uh, just no receivers, and you're just basically selling out on the run, because uh, as I believe we found, there wasn't a ton of play action in this offense, which is kind of strange for how much they're lining up uh, in Cro-Magnon. Yeah, in run-heavy sets, so you think that they would be wanting to set up the pass game using the run, kind of similar to what Courtney Messingham does with the uh, K-State offense, but nevertheless, uh, they they just run a lot. They just love running. Yeah. Which makes the next one even stranger. Oh, also, a note on 23 personnel. Sorry, I had to do a little bit of a cut there. That probably sounds real professional. But something that scares us about 23 personnel, or at least scares me about 23 personnel, is if you want to have big personnel on the field, you probably want the other side to have big personnel on the field, which means that we're going to have more linebackers on the field. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, that's frightening. Um, luckily, um, we do have uh, a lot of depth at defensive line, so we can just run a wider line if we want to and play safeties up if we really need to, especially since we're not passing out this formation very often. Yeah. But nevertheless, it is, strangely enough, a pretty good counter 
to uh, the uh, the sort of defense that K-State will be running, especially just because of the personnel K-State's going to have available, unless they just know something that we don't, which they know many things that we don't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they know a, a numerous number of things that we don't. But their emphasis on 23 personnel makes the next stat that I charted very strange. That's 22 personnel, two backs, two wide receivers. I only two tight ends. Two tight ends, my bad. I only saw that 1% of the time, which is almost definitely not accurate, but in what I charted, that's just what I saw. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of that, because, it, I don't know, it just seems really strange that they would go from 23 personnel to 22 and just have such a massive drop-off in uh, how often they use it. I, like, I don't know how to make sense of that. Yeah, and... I mean, they're not going to use it much, so there's not really much to say about it. Something they do use a lot is what traditionally used to be the ultimate pro-style formation, or at least set in personnel. That is 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, or sometimes referred to as ace sets. I'm right here. But anyway, I think that that just kind of is emblematic of their status as a pro-style offense. And I will say that they, although they didn't use much play action off of goal line sets, it's not like it didn't exist. And when it did exist, it was in a lot of these ace sets, which is something to watch out for, especially coming off of a year where they're going to have a new starting quarterback. And something that a lot of teams do to protect a new starting quarterbacks, even in the NFL, is they start running a lot of play action concepts, which is why you've seen a renaissance of quarterbacks like Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield in the NFL. So running these play-action concepts out of ace will be a very, very notable thing to watch for this offense. Yeah, I don't have much to add to what uh, what you said. Uh, just look out for ace on Stanford. Which leads us to 11 personnel, which they ran 17.3% of the time, according to my charting, which is one back, one tight end, which is what has become the more modern NFL-type offense, as opposed to having two tight ends. So this is three wide receivers on the field at a time. And given how little I think of their wide receiver room outside of Simi Fahoku last year, I'm not necessarily sure that putting more receivers on the field would be a benefit to them, especially with how good the secondary probably will be. Yeah, I, in my mind, going into this game, I'd imagine Stanford's going to be running a lot of, uh, if I were them, I'd be running a lot of 22. Mm. Um, and then a lot of 23, since they seem to already like it. Cro-Magnon. Yes, yeah, they already like Cro-Magnon, so they might as well just keep doing it and make us put more linebackers on the field at least. that's If I were them, that's what I would do. Yeah. But we're not them. But we're not them, so. <laughs> the next one is 10 personnel, which is one running back, zero tight ends, which for a pro-style offense, they ran a considerable amount of, which is 27.5% of the time. So this is your four wide receiver or spread sets. And something I noted later on, we note later on, I should say, is that whenever they're passing, they like two formations in particular whenever they run 10 personnel and that is trips and bunch which trips is something we're pretty used to seeing 
just being in the Big 12. But bunch is actually something that you think we would see a lot more of, but just kind of don't. And with how our defense likes to operate, we're probably going to have to make a few defensive adjustments going into the game. But given that Kleiman's a defensive-minded head coach, I don't see any big issues coming with it because a lot of problems defending against bunch is discipline and watching where your eyes go. Yeah, I'm not super worried about it. Uh, it is interesting that they run it so much, though, being, like, like we said, uh, they're a pro-style offense, but they're running a lot of uh, modern spread at the same time. So I guess it's just a, an evolution of their system, but it is interesting that they're running so much spread when their uh, passing game wasn't exactly lethal last year. Yeah, we'll say it like that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's being a little generous, but... Yeah, it's just it's interesting to see them. They have a very their offense doesn't do a lot of what I would expect them to do. I guess yeah. is how I'm trying to say this. Yeah, that's kind of how I would word it as well. And then the weird one outside of twenty two personnel is twenty personnel. Two backs, no tight ends. They were in that about four point two percent of the time. And it's just such a strange personnel grouping, especially for an offense like this. Like, I, that's not particularly uncommon in, say, like a Courtney Messingham run offense or a more modern type offense. But for Stanford, that seems like a relatively strange choice. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that, um, especially when you have um, a singular running back uh, like Austin, uh, Austin Jones. Yeah, Austin Jones. Yeah, Austin Jones uh, that uh, uh, seems to be the bell cow. Almost, he has the most all-purpose yards for them. He's doing the most. But for some reason, they are running uh, 20 personnel sometimes, which, I don't know, it kind of seems like something that if I were them, I would want to commit to heavily. Or just... Also, sorry if you hear that in the background. There's not much we can do. Yeah, there's there's not a lot we can do about the background sound. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so the 20 personnel, um, just, I don't know, kind of strange. Just a lot of weird personnel sets here. Not a lot of consistency, it seems like, other than they love the Cro-Magnon and they, for some reason, love the spread at the same time. <laughs> the duality of man. Yeah, I I don't really know. Or what the duality of Stanford. Moving on from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what their offensive uh, personnel is like most of the time. So. Yeah, and in, in terms of sets... They're in gun about 47.8% of the time. They're in pistol, which is Connor's favorite, about 2.8% of the time. And then under center, about 49.2% of the time. So, pretty standard distribution for a pro-style offense. Yeah, pretty rare in modern college football. But for a team that's going to run pro, like a Stanford or or K-State, that makes a lot of sense that they would uh, have roughly that distribution of uh of snaps and sets so i do wish i'd use the pistol a little bit more they in one of the highlights we were watching they did start out with pistol and they motioned to something else yeah and you so, got really excited and then they switched and you said oh and then it was a false start so it didn't matter yep uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, really depressing play all around yeah but other than personnel groupings there's a couple of notes that i took in regards to how their offense itself runs and the first thing I noticed that jumped off of the screen to me 
was their right tackle, number 75, does not do well with speed rushers. Absolutely at all. Especially coming from a wider alignment, like a wide nine. And the interior line is just, to me, the definition of fine. Like, I, it, they're fine, I guess. I don't know what else to say about them. Something I picked up from the games that I watched was that the interior O-line did seem like, at least in the past game, they got beat quite a bit. But they, they're getting the ball out so fast that it doesn't matter as much. Um, because they're, they're able to counter that weakness in their line with uh, scheming. So, yeah. but they, I think you're, you're right though, that they, they are pretty all right. Like they're, they're not remarkable, but they're generally doing their job. Yeah. And then Austin Jones is, like I said, he's by far their best player. He's very good off of draw, which they really like running. He's solid off of outside zone under single back formations or under center, which that's pretty much what they want to do. They either want to run power or they want to run outside zone, which is very similar to what literally every NFL team is doing. But, and honestly, he's, like I keep saying, he's the best player on their team. I think he'll honestly probably be their best receiver next year, or this year, I suppose. But Austin Jones is the number one person that I'm worried about whenever it comes to hearing the Stanford game. And... Yeah, they'll stay in goal line sets for pretty much the entire field. They don't seem to be afraid of running it anywhere, which is perfectly fine. I mean, go off, I guess. This this game is just quite literally the anti-pack and Big 12 games to where it's just they run the ball a lot. Yeah, yeah, you're getting the teams from their respective conferences that kind of go against the grain in their respective conferences for... Uh, what squads are running. Uh, because in the Pac-12, you have the Oregons and the UCLAs of the world. They're going to be heavy spread, up-tempo. Big 12 is pretty similar, except it's basically the entire conference, with the exception of K-State and like Iowa State. And that's pretty much it. So uh, it's it's kind of an interesting matchup in that regard. And I do actually really like it uh, on paper. It's a, it's a pretty good matchup, I think. So Yeah. And if they're in the red zone, they're going to want to run the ball. That's their priority in the red zone. And what else can you really say about that? So our red zone defense is going to have to take a massive step up from where it was last year. Yep. Which you could say that about literally the entire team. Yep. So. <laughs> and another note on their offense is their offense is almost entirely timing based. A lot of five-yard hitches, a lot of slant routes, finding soft spots and zones, a lot of stuff that is literally just dink and dunk offense, trying to catch the defense off balance, but not in a way that gives up a big play, but just gives up free yards, which kind of makes their third down percentage last year being slightly below average kind of pitiful because they weren't in situations where they were getting like third and 28 they weren't like doing the K-State third downs last year to where it was third and forever and we had no choice but to like throw a screen. Right. It's um it's it's definitely where their bread and butter is. They're not they're not going to want to go deep a lot. We watched them try that against Oregon 
to literally zero success. Yeah, it didn't like, work. Every single time the pass was getting batted away or otherwise. And the same thing was even happening uh, against Colorado. Uh, similar outcomes, uh, uh, like um, corner posts and stuff like that, getting batted away. Uh, good defense overthrows, things like that. Just they're they're gonna they're gonna make their money and the uh, short hitches, like you said, just quick things, just quick timing routes. If they're gonna go deep or if they're gonna get a long play, it's more than likely gonna be an intermediate route that kind of busts out into a much larger play, like yeah. a like like a seam route or something up the middle. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up the thoughts on the offense. And overall, I would just the number one word that I would use to describe them is just pro. They're an offense that is going to test us in ways that Big 12, I don't even think any of the other non-conference games. This is going to be the most unique offense that we are going to face this year. Yep. It's a massive change of pace, which yeah. it can be a good thing. Uh, the only team that even gets close to this type of style that they're running is going to be Iowa State, I think. Like, they're the only squad that's going to get close. Because Iowa State does uh, run a fairly uh, run-focused pro-style offense. But even then, they still have a pretty solid passing attack. Stanford doesn't really have that. They kind of just double down on uh, their power run most of the time. And they're not going to run a lot of play action either. So they, they kind of know what they're good at. At least they did last year. We'll see if that carries over into this year. I imagine it will, because I'm going to be breaking in a new quarterback regardless. Yep. So. so, moving on to defensively. They're technically a 3-4 team, but realistically, in the way the college football works, that turns into a 3-3-5, which a lot of people will say is a 4-2-5, because in practice, it kind of is, but it's just one of those moments that, well, technically... The linebacker lines up in a nine technique as opposed to a defensive end kind of lines up in, a, in an eight, which is, as opposed to being basically not on the tackle at all, you're on his outside shoulder or on head up on him, which, again, that's pretty standard for what we'll see, which is kind of the opposite of what you think for Stanford, especially given their offensive tendencies. But credit to them. They are able to adjust to the spread offenses that they have in the Pac-12, so they're going to be running a lot of nickel. Yeah, uh, they're like you said, their defensive alignment is really strange, especially uh, for a few plays <laughs> uh, in particular. What we saw like a three-one-seven. Yeah, it was, it was it was pretty ugly, and I'm pretty sure that they got absolutely destroyed on that play as well, if I recall. It was a Colorado it was the Colorado game. We were watching highlights, not full game of it, but Yeah, it was a really odd lineup. Like they had three down defensive linemen, then a, a line... guy who was obviously bailing. <laughs> yeah, and then they had someone that looks like they might want to play nickel, but they might be really, really, really wide nine and like He's basically covering the slot receiver, but there was someone else covering the slot receiver. It was gross. Yeah, it was pretty atrocious, but they normally aren't running that. Uh, they they kind of have that 3-3-5, three, three, like you were saying, with the uh, the edge rusher. At least I hope they don't commonly run that. Give me an aneurysm within, like, three plays. Yeah, that, that, would, be a, uh, that, that would be pretty ter terrible. Yeah. And something that I noticed is... They generally keep a pretty high safety, which is middle field closed, 
which is single high. So instead of two high shells, which you typically get your cover twos, fours, and the like, not six, because that's a multiple of three. But they typically say single high, which means that a safety tends to play more in the box in their alignment, which is fine. That's not atypical. It's different from what, say, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech to my best memory. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's pretty different from what they tend to run, which is more that cover, that two high shell, middle field open. But cover one, three, and single high shells are typically very susceptible to seam balls, which basically that's me saying Imator Bebe running a seam is going to be beautiful to watch. Yes, that is something to really look forward to. Uh, that single high safety thing that does remind me of. Uh, K-State, the Scotty Hazleton defense in uh, Kleiman's first year. Uh, there was I remember a lot of Wayne Jones playing right up on the line and then just dashing back to play single high deep uh, right before the snap. So kind of similar to that, except I think their safety starting up there. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, like a disguised, obviously, bail. Yeah. So. yeah. And in terms of man and zone play, they are pretty balanced from what I can see. However, it kind of gets muddy whenever you start talking about match cover three, which there are entire hour-long videos about the principles of match cover three. So let me oversimplify it in a way that is technically correct, but also not really. Match cover three is basically if someone enters your zone, they become your man, as opposed to you just cover the zone itself. So as an example, if you watch the national championship game last year, this is match three is how you get linebackers covering Devonta Smith. And that's bad. That's for a those bad that thing. don't know. Because <laughs> linebackers are slow and Devontae Smith was a Heisman winning receiver, which there aren't many of those. So hot take, Devonta Smith was good. Allegedly. Allegedly. So yeah. That that's the that's the skinny. On a match cover three, uh, it's bad for linebackers when receivers get on them. Which is always, but match cover three, it happens a little bit more. Yeah. And there's an entire rant to be had about the technical differences between match and man. It's not important. Basically, they're a pretty balanced team that will challenge the defense or the offense of K-State by mixing up looks, not necessarily in shells, though maybe they change it up this year because what was happening last year clearly was not working. Yeah. So maybe take all of this with a grain of salt because they completely change what their defense does. But last year, they really enjoyed these particular sets and starting with one guy high. And that kind of leads us to the next little point is... They get absolutely decimated on quarterback runs and options. This was in every game that I watched, even the highlights. Because I know I went through all the full games, and I left the full games thinking, huh, they're not very good against quarterback runs. And then I watched the highlights, and I watched the game against Oregon, where Tyler Shaw had like, or Shaw or whatever. Something like that. Shuck, whatever. He rushed for, I think, three touchdowns. 
He is not fast. Yeah, he's he's not slow, but he's slower than Skyler. Like, probably. Yeah, getting decimated by him kind of shows you where their quarterback run defense was and yeah. probably still is. Yeah. As a K-State fan, that has to leave your mouth watering with the idea of Skyler just at any point being able to just decimate uh, this defense just by running out of the pocket or by running a read option or having a designed run of some sort. Jet option, messing him. It is your time. It's time for the Will Howard special. The Will, the Will Howitzer, Howitzer package. package. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> so that's something as a K-State fan to keep your eyes on. I mean, I would have said it anyways. Keep your eyes on the quarterback run in this game just to see how they utilize Skyler mm-hmm. or Will, depending on if they use him situationally. But now with the knowledge of Stanford does not cover a quarterback run, especially improvised quarterback run, very well at all. They are anti-QB spy, it yeah. seems. Uh, that that could be the uh, the difference for K State in in this game if it ends up being close. Yeah. And in terms of blitzing, they're not exactly aggressive. I'd say that they're about league average for what they do in terms of blitzing. And their blitzes aren't necessarily the most creative things ever, which I don't know. Maybe I'm spoiled by watching Brian Flores defenses because. The Dolphins' defense is beautiful in so many ways, mostly with how they blitz. So is the Patriots, but I don't want to give them any credit more than they already get. Yeah, we don't like them. We don't like them. We're both Chiefs fans. <laughs> Chiefs and Packers out here. So. Go Pack! Go, go. Pack! Go! Uh, just the random guy you met in the bathroom. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, the, they're not the most aggressive team when it comes to blitzing. They typically rush four, which is your standard rush. So, and even if they did blitz, I don't think that it is advantageous for them to do this against K-State because I don't have any confidence in their defensive line, and I have a lot of confidence in our offensive line. Yeah, um, it, it would be an interesting call, if nothing else, to uh, start blitzing because this is a K-State Team where if you can hit the QB draw and the right hole against the blitz, that's gonna be over. Bye. That's gonna be pretty nasty. Uh, Case they uh, they've they've shown that they enjoy the uh, quick uh, pass to the tailback on a checkdown or a screen. Yep. So if Stanford decides they want to start blitzing, well, they can deal with Deuce Vaughn in the open field if they want to do that. Yeah, have fun. Yeah, yeah I hope they enjoy doing that. Because so, it's not gonna end. So well. I would imagine they're probably aware of that because David Shaw is not a stupid coach by any means. So <laughs> I would imagine we see a pretty vanilla look from the Stanford defense. Uh, the, I'd imagine they're going to go for the old tried-and-true K-State strategy of wait for you to make a mistake, which I'm not convinced K-State's offense is going to make many mistakes uh, just because Deuce Vaughn was a very reliable ball, ball carrier. Skylar Thompson has historically been great at taking care of the football. And... Uh, I don't think anybody else on the offense is a big enough liability to truly worry about that. Nope. So if the K-State offense can execute on at least most cylinders, then this should be a, a pretty successful day against a defense. Not a blowout necessarily, Yeah. but they should be able to move the ball. Yeah. The, there is something worth noting, and I know Messingham probably circled this on 
he probably circled this a couple of times on his play calling sheet. The linebackers are absolutely atrocious against play play action. And I and normally whenever I say atrocious, I use it as hyperbole because I think atrocious is a really funny word. No. No, 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 no. No, no they're no. just bad. No, they are really bad. Which I like we were talking about how your mouth should be watering about the QB run stuff. This should really leave you excited because Courtney Messingham, he loves setting up play action. That's that's his bread and butter. Because there were multiple occasions where we can call out uh, this this was Texas Tech and then I believe Oklahoma State were the two big instances of spending a lot of time setting up the play action bootleg on for a, a pass to the tight end mm-hmm. and in those two games when they finally went to that play and it was i think both times in the late third quarter mm-hmm. they got at least 60 yards out of it yeah. so if the linebackers are going to bite hard on play action against a messingham offense good luck <laughs> good luck because that especially is especially with your mats for baby <laughs> um, when you have a mats for baby the athletic freak at tight end, and then you have Deuce available. You even have Deneen available, who he can run some good routes to the flat and do do something. He can do more at the ball than a lot of fullbacks can. So yeah, this if Messingham can properly set up the play action game, which I completely trust him to do that. Yeah, because he's proven that he's very good at that. Then this should they should have a field day on the Sanford linebackers in in that regard. At least, at least in the play-action game. Yeah. And something just in the run game, because you can't just pass the ball every single down. The force player, which is essentially the player that sets the edge and forces the ball back inside, yeah, no, they're not very good either. It doesn't matter who it is either. And I think whenever you have... Because normally you can chalk it up to, oh, it's one player not doing his job on a certain play. No, it, it was just about anyone who was made to play the force role on any run play. They were not very good at doing it. Yeah, they're just all bad. Yeah, which... There's not much that you can look at defensively for Stanford, at least looking at last year. There are very few bright spots. And I guess if you're going to pick one bright spot, you could say the secondary. But They did lose their... Uh, their uh, they lost best second- to Debo. Yeah, they, they lost their uh, best guy in the secondary. Yeah, so, so this Sanford team, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not really sure what to fully expect from them. Just because there's a lot of moving parts right now, it seems like there's a lot of things that we can't really be sure on. Yeah. But with the information that we have today, this seems like a very winnable game for the Cats. Yeah. So before we get into our final predictions for say, score, and if we end up winning the game or not. There are a bunch of storylines to watch going into this game. As of recording, which is August 25th, the Wednesday, before the game, there has been no official word of who their starting quarterback is going to be, which we started on earlier. It's projected to be Tanner McKee, but it very well could be Jack West. Yeah, Jack West is the senior in... Uh, this scenario, so they may give him the nod at least early in the season just for uh, some semblance of uh, maturity, and he does have two starts under his belt. Uh, not a lot, but it's something. So. Yeah. 
So I'd watch the QB controversy that's currently going on. I would watch potential changes to the offense because of Davis Mills leaving, which I would interpret more as because say what you will about timing-based offenses and how they're relatively simple and the, the quote-unquote system QB nonsense. A timing offense takes a lot of processing to actually run effectively. So I don't think they completely step away from timing, but I think they do a lot more with play action and things to protect the quarterback no matter who it be under center. Yeah. That's something to watch. Yeah, so yeah, changes the offense with Mills leaving. That that does make sense. Although Stanford does have a archetype of quarterback that they do like, there's still going to be differences from player to player. So we may see more passing. We may see more running and leaning into uh, Austin Jones. Uh, that remains to be seen. It's a complete unknown uh, at this point, just because we haven't had a chance to watch him yet. Yep. And I would say watch out for a potential big day from Khalid Duke off the edge especially if they have him lined up against number 75 and he's still playing tackle. Yep. Because Khalid Duke is a motor pass rusher, and if I'm going to take a motor pass rusher against anyone that I've seen on our schedule so far, I will take him against number 75 from Stanford. Yep. Uh, That's exactly uh, what I'm thinking. If it's not Khalid Duke, it'll be Boom Massey or Felix Anyadike or even like Nate Matlick or Spencer Trussell. There will be some defensive end that should have a successful day against uh, the right tackle uh, at Stanford, uh, just especially if they're lining up uh, on wide and uh, wide nine on him. So uh, that that should be a storyline to watch there. Yeah, you want to take the next one? Uh, yes. Uh, quote: Stanford was horrid in third down defense. Horrid, horrid in, in all capitals. caps. <laughs> Um, yeah, they're horrid in third down defense. Uh, their defense was not good against the run either. So what does that say to you, Ace? Because, I mean, it literally says something. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I see both of those things, and it should be no surprise who my mind immediately goes for for having a big day. And his name is Deuce Vaughn. I mean, yeah, that's an obvious one there. Uh, terrible third down defense. Uh and a bad, or a not great, at least, run defense. Uh, that's that's sounding like a field day for Deuce Vaughn. Uh, just throw him in the slot on third down, get him <laughs> on a linebacker, and better yet, run some play action to like Joe Irvin or Jacardier Wright on that and just massacre their linebackers with confusion. The linebackers just break down in the middle of the field and start crying. Which, if I had to cover Deuce Vaughn, I, I would probably do the same. So, <laughs> I mean, that's totally fair. So... Yeah, look out for a big day for Deuce. And if not Deuce, then somebody in the running game. Somebody will, will do it. And it, it could be Skyler. Yeah, especially with how bad they were against QB runs last year against quarterbacks that are not traditionally considered runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and you don't say bad uh, lightly. You're pretty selective with your words. They were just straight buns against yeah, they were. the quarterback run game. And Casey, uh, while it's not what they desire to run by default, uh, Messingham and Kleiman would rather uh, have their quarterback not be running as much. But when you have a guy like Skyler that is an athletic guy and can run the ball, you kind of have to. Sometimes you run speed option four times in the red zone in the same game, and it works every time. Yeah. So and you, just, you just have to work with what you have. In this case, they have a perfect counter. They have a... Uh, 
a perfect attack to one of the uh, biggest weaknesses on the uh, Stanford defense, although there are not, it seems at this point, a ton of strengths yeah. on that Stanford defense. They're not pushovers, but they're not going to be the strongest defense that K-State faces by a long shot. No, and no. this is and the with the offense supposed to be the strength of this Wildcat squad. Um, I'm I'm hoping the offense uh, gets the end zone a lot today. Yep. So now comes the big reveal of our personal predictions, and I'll go first. I think that we'll, we'll do it like this. We'll go score and then offensive and de- defensive MVP of the game. Fair. That's fair. All right. So. With how bullish I've been on K-State this entire time, yeah, it's not stopping here. The Cats are going to win, and it's not going to be a blowout, but it will be a game that is very close to it. I have the Cats going 38-24. to It's very interesting that you have that score, because mine is almost the same. Sands field goals on either side. Mine was 35-21. Really? Yep. My offensive MVP will end up being Skylar Thompson based off of his contributions in the run game. And I think the defensive MVP will, this might surprise some people, I think it'll end up being Khalid Duke off the edge. Well, we have the exact same MVPs. Because, I mean, I think Skylar's the obvious choice on offense. I mean, it's either him or Deuce, I think. Maybe a dark horse with Daniel Matabebe. Mm -hmm. Uh, But defensive side, there's several guys that you can pick from. I guess I'll widen it to whoever is going up against the right tackle in wide nine on the defensive side of the ball, whether that be Glee Duke. It could literally be anybody. It could be Duke. It could be Massey. It could be Enudike. It could be Matlix, Trussell. There's several options. I think it'll be K-State defensive end. Duke, though, is kind of the face of that group right now, so I think he's the safe bet. So, I mean, I would have liked to have different people, but, like... We're just kind of similarly minded on that, and all the evidence points towards those guys having the biggest contribution, at least in, in immediately. Maybe a dark horse candidate is a guy like Daniel Green. Yeah. Uh, if they're going to run the ball a lot, and Daniel Green supposedly has made a lot of strides in this offseason. So. Yeah, and uh, we promise that Skyler will not be the offensive MVP every game. <laughs> no, he will not be the offensive MVP every game. Because not every team is going to be this bad against the quarterback run. So I, I mean, if they are, that really makes our life pretty easy. Yeah, I mean that's great, and I'm I'll be happy for Skyler and his like two... eighty-five rushing touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, that'll be um excellent for his NFL prospects. But uh, for now, and just this game alone in a vacuum, uh, look for Skyler to have a very big day and. Uh, passing, passing and rushing. I'm thinking, if I had to guess, probably 225 plus passing and maybe 60 plus rushing with four total touchdowns. Man, honestly, I think Skyler's going to have such a big day. It'll probably be like 275 and then 100. Really? Yep. I mean, I, I'm, I would be fine with that. I was trying to be conservative. Um, nope. On my estimations, no Vashtagonal out. Not me. Nah, not Ace. He, he's all out there. Well, I guess I'll have to go all out on my defensive stat predictions then. This is kind of improv. I, I was just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. Khalid Duke, uh, we'll give him the brace on sacks. So I have to get to the, the two. One short of a hat trick. Okay. But he'll, he'll get two sacks in this game. He gets uh, two sacks and 
about it down pass, and then two tackles for loss. So two tackles for loss beyond the sacks. Yes. So he's, ta- he's taking down Austin Moore behind the line. A couple of Austin, Austin Jones. Jones. Is Austin Moore a linebacker for K-State? He is. Yes. That's why I almost said it like three other times. I couldn't figure out why. But yeah, he's he was mentioned as being in the linebacker rotation. So yeah. we'll, we'll also see if that's a thing. It's kind of unrelated to this. Austin but... Moore becomes defensive MVP. I mean, that, that would be a, a funny turn of fate. Representing all Austins everywhere. Including this one right here. Yeah, even though most people don't know my name is Austin. <laughs> yeah. Well, your name is Ace. Yeah, it's, it's Ace. Um, quite literally. But <laughs> that pretty well wraps up this special edition for the preview of the K-State-Stanford game. And this special edition of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to support us financially, the links to do so are in the main description of the podcast, no matter what podcast platform you're listening to. And we'll also be having a merch store. It may even be up by the time we post this episode. Who's to say? But we'll be launching it with a limited edition t-shirt, which is our current cover logo, which our new merch will launch alongside our new logo, which I really love the way that it's looking and turning out. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited uh, for the finished product. I think you guys are going to really like it. And uh, that limited edition shirt, that's only going to be available for... A couple weeks at the most, yep. I believe. So uh, you're gonna have to get that, uh, get that while while it's hot, uh, to prove that you're an OG listener. Yep. If you want to follow the show on social media, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to reach out to the show, our DMs are open. Or if you want to send us a more professional email, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, my personal Twitter is at ACEdwards00, and my co-host is... I'm Connor Balthazor, capital C in Connor, capital B in Balthazor. But most importantly is thank you guys for listening to today's edition of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. See you later, Alley Cats.